Buy more, save more with a patio door at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Buy three windows, save $500. Buy six, save $1,000. Buy a dozen, save $2,000 by adding a patio door. But only through April 30th. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. This story set me off so much that it's the subject of not just one tweet, but two tweets. You can follow me at, at Jeff Wagner 620 let me just say this. Everybody in the criminal justice system, starting with John Chisholm, through the judges, through the court commissioners who touched this dumpster fire of a case, should be out of a job today. And and this is yet another example of how out of control things are. And if you wonder why there's 71 homicides in the city of Milwaukee right now and rising, it is because we have a court system that is completely and totally broken down and bends over backwards to allow dangerous people who should not be on the street, and everybody knows they shouldn't be on the street, to be on the street killing other people. Let me tell you the story of Kenneth Twyman, who right now is 24 years old. And I've got, I have his criminal record in my hand. One of the cases that I'm going to talk about, it's nine, well, it's actually, it's, that's double-sided. It's 17 pages long for just one case. Let me tell you about Kenneth Twyman. And again, if you want some more details, Fox 6, to their credit, has been all over this. So here is the deal. Kenneth Twyman, was charged in November of 2018. Where are we now? We are almost through April of 2022. So November of 2018, work with me now. November of 2019 is one year. November of 2020 is two years. November of 2021 is three years. April of 22. This case that I'm going to tell you about is three and a half years old. In November of 2018, Kenneth Twyman was charged five felonies, um, fleeing an officer, bodily harm or property damage. I'll tell you about that. Second degree, recklessly endangering safety, possession with intent to distribute marijuana, party to a crime of possession with intent to distribute cocaine, possession with intent to distribute heroin. Okay, did I mention it's November of 2018? Okay, so you say, all right, Jeff, well, why do you keep talking about 2018? Because... That case has not been resolved. So let, let's, let's talk a little bit about Kenneth Twyman. All right, Kenneth Twyman, let's talk about what happened in November of 2018 and before that. He was featured as one of Wisconsin's most wanted on the Fox 6 News in December of 2018. At the time, a deputy marshal called Twyman, who then was 20, now he's 24, a complete menace to the city. In one video they had, he's driving a vehicle, he puts a weapon outside the car, shoots recklessly outside the window into the neighborhood. In September of 2018, the U.S. Marshal said a dash, dash cam footage showed Twyman crash into another car near 55th and Congress. Four people were hurt. So this is 2018, November of 2018. Twyman goes on the lamb. He runs. He was arrested in Little Rock, Arkansas in 2019. All right. 
I have, again, in my hands, the 17-page long court case. And it is just, it's a reflection of how screwed up the Milwaukee County court system is because it's one appearance after another. I can't count the number of different attorneys the guy has had, the number of stays, continuances, whatever that, that he has had. And um, also multiple failures to appear. Now, he, he's charged with all this stuff in 2018. He goes on the lam. You bring him back. You would think that there's two words that would apply to a guy who's run, and that would be no bail. Oh, no, no, not no bail. We're released at one point in time. He's released on a signature bond. On another point in time, it's like a $5,000 bond, et cetera, et cetera. So that case has been pending since November of 2018. All right, then let's look at uh, July of 2021 in Waukesha County. He's charged with felony bail jumping and possession of marijuana. He's put on, uh, again, a, a bail that is set that has him released. Okay, so you have this guy, multiple charges, multiple failures to appear, bail jumping, all those types of things. So what happens is on, let me see, let's get this here, on um, last Friday, what ends up happening is he has a court appearance on the original charge, yet another charge. Uh, that's one going back to 2018. He has a court appearance. He appears via Zoom. They don't even make him appear in person. Well, there's something interesting, apparently, that's going on when he's appearing via Zoom in court. Apparently, there is a murder warrant out for him. But the prosecutors, I don't know if they tell the judge or not, but it's it's in Zoom, and they don't want him to know that there's a murder warrant out for him. In other words, they think he's murdered somebody while he's been out on bail. So they don't tell at least him, and I don't think they tell his lawyer, that there's a murder warrant out for him because they think because he's run before, he'll probably run again. So the hope is we'll figure out where he is, we'll be able to arrest him. So he appears on court for another yet another hearing on this 2018 thing that's been hanging fire, and if it had been prosecuted in a timely fashion, he would undoubtedly be in prison now. So, all right, they now turn out that they've got the uh, murder warrant for him. He's gone. Gone. He has disappeared. He is on the run again. So what did he do, or at least allegedly do, while he was out on bail? April 4th, which April 14th, Tuesday, April 14th, he has been charged now in connection with a murder. According to the criminal complaints, this happened Fond du Lac and Locust. Officers arrived on the scene and found a man with a gunshot wound to his neck. Despite efforts to provide medical assistance, the victim, identified as 24-year-old Tavon Luckett, was pronounced dead at the scene. The next day, police interviewed a person who called 911 regarding the shooting incident. The person said um, he was at the victim at a quick mart when the victim was heard saying, Kenny, this is, of course, referring to Kenny Twyman. The complaint states the victim knew Kenny from talking to him social media posts and news articles from five years ago, presumably the news articles about the crime he allegedly committed five years ago. The person, this is the witness, told police that the victim and Kenny walked up to each other and possibly shook hands. Moments later, the person heard several gunshots. The person told police Kenny was holding a gun that was pointed toward the victim. Kenny then reportedly jumped into a car and fled the scene. Okay, so Kenny is the guy that's been, 
He's out on bail. He's been out on bail, and he's been continued to be allowed to be out on bail for the better part of three and a half years for a variety of serious felonies. Milwaukee police showed the person a photo array. The person was able to identify the shooter as Kenneth Twyman. Court records show he posted $5,000 cash bond for a separate case in January of 2022. While out, he is now accused of killing Luckett. Um, and again, they don't know where he is. He's in the wind. So you, you have serious felonies that should have been prosecuted in a timely fashion. You have somebody that left the state after committing or at least allegedly committing a series of serious felonies in 2018. They catch him in Arkansas in 2019. He comes back. The case just drags through the court system and drags through the court system, and one judge after another gets assigned to the case, and one defense attorney gets assigned to the case, and it stalls, and it stalls, and it stalls. And then the guy, despite not showing up a couple times, despite running in the beginning, he's out on a $5,000 bail, and now if these allegations are correct, he's murdered somebody, allegedly, and he's out, and he's in the wind yet again. You don't know where to start when you look at how crazy this is. It's just, how can you let somebody that's accused of all these serious crimes and who ran, who who makes the, hey, Wisconsin's most wanted list, how can you let him out on bail in the first place? How can you allow serious crimes that are allegedly committed in 2018 to drag on and on and on without being prosecuted? How can we continue to just perpetuate this? And then we're surprised when more people end up dead. This, honest to God, makes my head want to explode. And this is, see, this is Daryl Brooks all over again. This is the same sort of thing, no sort of accountability. Here, nobody's going to pay attention. Nobody's going to stand up and say, we, we can't just let this case drag through the court. It's three and a half years old. We have somebody who is potentially dangerous. We have somebody who is gaming the system in many respects. We, at some point in time, don't you need a judge to step up and say, look, I, I'm, we're not granting any more continuances. We're, we're going to trial. This case is three and a half years old, and it's serious sort of conduct. Or a judge to step up and say, okay, you didn't show up in court for a hearing. Boom, your bail is revoked. You're, you're, you're going to jail while we get this case going. But no, we just continue this, and we continue this, and we continue this, and we let dangerous people out on the streets and then we're surprised that those dangerous people people that are, shouldn't be out on the street in the first place do stuff that ends up in other people being dead. And this, I, the, see, this is the thing with Daryl Brooks, and you've got a lot of people in the media particularly that are trying to make apologies for John Chisholm's office. Now, see, that, that's not it. It's not just Daryl Brooks, the Waukesha Christmas Parade guy. It's, this is this system that is completely and totally out of control. Daryl Brooks is the tip of the iceberg. And I think if you had enterprising reporters around here who started to look at all the people who get charged with crimes, not just the murders, but the shootings, et cetera, et cetera, what you're going to find is a lot of them are out on bail or out awaiting trial or have done all sorts of other serious things and have never been held accountable. This story is an absolute outrage that it has been allowed to go on this long. 
Justice delayed is justice denied. And nowadays, on the mean streets of Milwaukee, the more this stuff goes on, you see the repercussions for it. Now, I mean, I hope they're able to catch the guy, hope his current lawyer is able to find out where he is and encourage him to turn himself in, hope that they can finally get their act together and try to resolve the case from 2018 at some point in time. And if he is, in fact, responsible for the murder of this other guy, like he's charged with in April, hope they can prosecute him and then put him behind bars where he belongs and where arguably he should have been for the last several years. So far, the only place I've seen this covered is, like I say, is Fox 6. It's been all over this. But it's another one of these examples about how the system is completely and totally broken and how We're not holding people accountable in any meaningful way, shape, or form, and as the result, everybody is held hostage to the small percentage of dangerous criminals, and everybody knows they're dangerous criminals, but we don't get them off the street. Remember this name, Kenneth Twyman. It's the latest example of a complete and total failure at all levels of the so-called criminal justice system. During the break, I tried to count the number of judges and court commissioners that have have had their fingers in the the mess of the pie that is the Kenneth Twyman prosecution, and and candidly, there's too many. I'm sure there's at least four circuit judges that have at one point or another had something to do with this case as it was just dragged through the court system. I can't count the number of defense attorneys who showed up. There's multiple court commissioners as well. And, you know, if you say, oh, who's the latest court official that let the guy out on a bail that he shouldn't have been out on in the first place? It's, I mean, everybody was just messed up by this. But it's this ongoing problem. And I I wouldn't be making such a big deal of it other than the fact that there's all sorts of other Kenneth Twyman cases out there, just like there's all sorts of other Daryl Brooks cases that, that are out there as well. And they only come to the public's attention when there, there's a murder or something, that that's involved. But the, the truth of the matter is this is what's going on on a regular basis. You've got a court system that can't get its act together. You've got a DA's office that can't get its act together. And you've got criminals who know how to exploit that. And meanwhile, you've got the carnage that is going on in the street. And lest we think that that carnage is getting any better, we talked yesterday about what the three murders and 21 other separate shootings over the weekend, 71 homicides in the city of Milwaukee alone. And to give you a perspective, same time last year, which was an all-time record year for homicides, there, there were like 42. So we're, we're, we got 30 more. And at this pace, and normally it actually it picks up when the weather gets warmer, you know, we, we could be looking unthinkable, 250 homicides, theoretically, that's out there. And, you know, so here's the latest story. Milwaukee police investigating a double shooting that occurred about 3.15 a.m. this morning. Victim number one, a 17-year-old boy from Milwaukee who sustained non-life-threatening injuries. He presented himself to a local hospital where he's expected to survive. All right, 3.15 in the morning, 17 years old. What, what, is, what is wrong with this picture? What, what is a 17-year-old doing out on the streets at 3.15 in the morning? And my guess is... 
I don't know. He, he wasn't going down to pick up papers to deliver on the paper route or something like that. 17 years old, out on the street at 3.15 in the morning. Victim number two is a 20-year-old man from Milwaukee who sustained non-life-threatening injuries as well. He presented himself to a local hospital where he is expected to survive. The circumstances leading up to the shooting and the location are still under investigation. Police continue to seek unknown suspects. But but the level of violence, just it's, it's not going down. The message is not getting out. And for all this talk about here, we're going to have the nonviolence task force or whatever. Okay, bottom line is it's not solving anything. So what do you do? Well, I think it, it's real simple. You take some of this money that you've been pouring into these these nonviolent, these, these very touchy-feely, let, let's have the violence prevention task force and things like that, and you recognize that, okay, maybe that's something you do on a different day. But right now, you need more cops on the street. You need more aggressive attempts to arrest. And then maybe some of these elected officials should start using their bully pulpit to hold these judges accountable for when the cops make the arrests. Maybe you get to a point of, okay, what what happens then? Maybe some of these politicians should start using their bully pulpit to hold the DA's office accountable for stupid low bail recommendations that turn people loose out on the street to commit more and more crimes. Because it's not just a question of arresting people. If you arrest people, but then... They just get caught up in the mess that is the Milwaukee County court system and the revolving door system of criminal justice, and they're back out on the street again and again and again to commit crimes. Things aren't going to get any better. Simple solution, at least to start off with, is more cops on the street, more aggressive police presence, more arrests. And then let's figure out where we go from there. But where we go is not just turning people loose over and over again. And it continues to amaze me that the community puts up with this. And that's that's what collectively we're doing. We're putting up with this and allowing this stuff to go on and not holding people who should know better accountable. And then we're surprised that there's 71 homicides and we're on a pace for, you know, however many hundreds of, of shootings. Well, okay, you, you get you get what you deserve. And when you have a system that does not hold people accountable, you shouldn't be surprised at these results. Back with more in just a minute. Well, as if things weren't aggravating enough, stock market, once again, now the stock market has been cratering lately, and I understand there's some people, particularly people who make their living selling stocks to other people who say, oh, there's nothing to worry about here. Stock market, of course, has been down nine weeks out of the last 11. Last week on Friday, you had, what, a decline in the Dow Jones of about 1,000 points, 900 and some points. Uh, Today, more of the same, the Dow down 634, NASDAQ down 420, which is a 3.23% decrease. And you understand that, I mean, there's always going to be some market volatility, but it looks like it looks like the Biden economy is heading towards a recession. I don't think there's any way you can in- interpret this as anything other than that. And I think people, particularly people who are either in retirement or close to retirement, need to be kind of looking at their portfolios because I know it's people are pulling their hair out when they just see one decline after another. The NASDAQ is down for the Biden administration. The Dow Jones is now pretty close to, I think, where it was, but it's just, it's been bleak over the last several months. And you you wonder if there's going to be anything that happens that turns it around anytime soon. Okay. Are people upset because he said it 
or because he said it out loud. Now, a, a month or so ago, we did a topic. Lindsey Graham comes out and he publicly says something about, you know, the, the world would be a better place if Vladimir Putin was gone. And I'm paraphrasing a little, but that, that's kind of what it was. And you had all these people that were clutching their pearls and wringing their hands and saying, oh, my gosh, I, I can't believe that, that, that he's saying that. And, and you, we, we shouldn't be saying that about other world leaders. And I, I remember my take was, well, tell me, are you really upset with that? Are you upset that he said it? Or are you upset that he said it out loud? Because can I see a show of hands? Vladimir Putin is a monster. He is ultimately responsible for the deaths of thousands and thousands and thousands of civilians in this war he launched against Ukraine. He has destroyed the the economy of a country. You've got five million people that have been dispossessed. He is the epitome of evil. So are, are we really, is anybody really sorry? I mean, if Vladimir Putin, you know, walks into the Black Sea tomorrow and drowns, is anybody really going to be sorry? I mean, really, if he is deposed by a coup, is anybody really going to be sorry about this? So for all the people who are clutching their pearls about Lindsey Graham saying that, you know, my question was, well, are, are you upset that he said it, or are you upset that he said it out loud? And most people were kind of like, well, we're probably upset that he said it out loud. But yeah, we, we agree with the sentiment. All right, which brings me to the story of Santa Rosa, Florida, Sheriff Bob Johnson. Now, Santa Rosa, uh, Florida, is a small community in the extreme northwestern portion of Florida. It's right by, sort of by Destin, Florida, so it's probably, it's way closer to Mobile, Alabama, or Pensacola than it would be to Tampa. So it's up, it's up in that, that area. Small community. So what happens, the story is, apparently there is a guy who the sheriff describes as a frequent flyer. That would be somebody who has at least 17 arrests on his record, who is by trade a burglar. So here's apparently, you know, what happened. He, he's doing, a, he, he's doing a, a press conference. Florida has a stand-your-ground law, which specifies that if you're in your house and you're faced with an intruder, you have no duty to retreat and you have the right to stand your ground and use or threaten to use force. So in other words, you break into somebody's house, you do that in Florida, you do that, well, at at your own risk. So here's the story. Apparently there's this guy, career criminal, who breaks into this house. Matter of fact, he was breaking into a series of houses. So the sheriff has a press conference. And here's what the sheriff says. He says, look, um, one, of, one of the homeowners, one of the homeowners that was being victimized, well, he, he fired shots at the would-be burglar. And the burglar, you know, ran away and, and retreated, didn't get hit by any of the shots, but he did retreat. They ended up catching him breaking into another house about 15 minutes later. So the story is, Last Wednesday, multiple residents called 911 to report break-ins. Deputies set up a perimeter. Suspect was jumping over fences and breaking into homes as deputies tried to catch him. One of the homeowners took a shot at him. So the sheriff says, we don't know which home- homeowner shot at him. 
I guess they think that they did something wrong because they haven't come forward. Then the sheriff says, which they did not. If someone is breaking into your house, you're more than welcome to shoot at them in Santa Rosa County. We'd prefer that you do, actually. He added that the sheriff's office conducts a gun safety course every other Saturday. If you take that, you'll shoot a lot better, and hopefully you'll save the taxpayers money. After the man was shot at, deputies eventually caught up to him already inside another home. As they broke through a door he was trying to block, the man went headfirst through a window to escape, cutting himself on the glass. The man has a record stretching back to when he was 13, the sheriff said. He'd spent more than six years in prison had active felony warrants for his arrest at the time of his capture. He's being held on a $157,000 bond. Yeah, none of these $5,000 bond for people who drive down the streets of Milwaukee and shoot at other people. $157,000 bond faces multiple charges. The sheriff said he just can't seem to get the picture that crime does not pay. In any event, there's all these people that are upset with the sheriff for coming out and saying, hey, you know, um, you know, somebody breaks into your house, you know, we're, we're okay. You are more than welcome to shoot them. <laughs> we, we prefer you do, actually. You're not in trouble. Come see us. We've got a gun safety class we put on every Saturday. If you, ta- if you take that, you'll shoot a lot better, and hopefully you'll p- save the taxpayers some money. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, here's my question. Should we be upset with the sheriff for for saying this. Is this encouraging lawlessness? Is this encouraging vigilantism? Or instead, is the sheriff simply reflecting what lots and lots of homeowners are probably thinking, that you're sick of having your house broken into by these career criminals who shouldn't be out on the streets? And all right, should we be giving the sheriff an attaboy? Or is this just out of control causes for vigilantism? He says, yeah, don't don't worry. If you, you shoot at people, well, we'd encourage you to take a course so that you aim better. All right, should we be appalled at Sheriff Bob Johnson from Santa Rosa, Florida, for saying that? We discuss in just a minute. If you want to see a video of this, you follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 I've got, I've got a link to this sheriff in Santa Rosa, Florida, which is up in the panhandle, having, having this speech where he's saying, hey, look, here, here's the bottom line. We've got what they call a frequent flyer, a career criminal who's been in and out of a prison who's breaking into people's homes. You have a homeowner who takes a shot at the criminal while he's in the process of committing this felony. In Florida, there's a stand-your-ground law, which allows them to to do this. So it's legal. Guy runs out the door, tries to break into another house. Sheriff is saying, look, here, bottom line, you come to my county, and, and people need to know that if you're breaking into houses, homeowners are going to take a shot at you. The homeowner should feel free to come forward. He's not, or she is not, in any sort of trouble at all. Matter of fact, and I think he's being tongue in cheek when he says this. You know, we have we have we, we've got gun safety courses. You know, we'll we'll tell we'll teach you how to be a better shot. All right, are people appalled by this, or is he just really saying what everybody thinks? Let's start with Pat. Pat, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Pat. Okay, let's try Chris in New Berlin. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Yeah, I don't have a problem with what he said necessarily, but he's got a gap in his message. The message is, if you break into a house, you might be met with lethal force, so don't do it. Deterrent. He's telling the homeowners, hey, someone breaks in, your life could be a danger. Don't hesitate. Shoot. Defend yourself. The gap is, this guy's broken in 17 times, never really to harm people, etc. You don't know that when he comes through the door, so this is a really bad example to use this on. If he'd said, 
hey, homeowners, by the way, when someone breaks in, you don't know if they're there to harm you or not. You are free to shoot. You need to put that extra messaging in there because right now it just sounds like, hey, defend your property. Go ahead and shoot people. That is the gap in message. I like what he said. I get the idea. We've got to add that part in there. You don't know if this person is going to harm you. Therefore, you could be met with lethal force, and that's okay. Yeah, I think. I mean, thanks. I mean, I I understand, and I guess that's. I mean, that's technically, if you're going to go down this route, yeah, you could have thrown in that modifier, and I would have no problem with that at all. But the the truth of the matter is, and again, I think part of this was being tongue in cheek, but part of it was also, I mean, out there to send a message that that look, people, law-abiding people, are sick and tired of this. And if if you're at a point where, you know, you've got these career criminals, and again, in, in the law is different in every state, but in Florida, as the sheriff was saying, apparently in the sheriff's view, you, you break into somebody's house, and if that person's got a gun and they choose to defend themselves in that fashion or defend their, their residence, you know, you're, you're doing that at your own risk. I, I think sending that message is reasonable. And I guess my, my point would be it's not to necessarily encourage vigilantism, but it would be to say, look, we want to discourage people from breaking into other people's houses. Jeff, I'm glad I laugh out loud. I'm glad I said it. It's the truth. It's what most of us think that want to protect our homes and want to protect our family. I'm glad he ended up saying that. Um, Yeah, Jeff, beside the fact that I'm sure you're right, it's a bit tongue-in-cheek, I think it's absolutely hysterical and good for the sheriff to speak his mind. Jeff, I think we end up needing more of this. Jeff, I think we should all move to Santa Rosa. Um, well, that's, you know, an element or there. Um, Jeff, no, we shouldn't be upset. We should encourage people to protect their property and their families. Um, Jeff, the sheriff in Florida sends a message. Burglar, beware. It's the opposite message that gets sent around Milwaukee, um, which is citizens, we don't want to prosecute criminals. Um, Yeah, that's it. Um, Jeff, people need to start understanding that words have definitions. You're not a vigilante or a lawless person if you shoot at somebody breaking into your home in Florida or in many states. So the sheriff is fine with saying what he did, and it's one of his ways of trying to keep criminal activity out of the county. Well, you've got an element um, that's there as well. See, and, and here's the larger point beyond just the remarks of, of a sheriff that does have, again, some people just clutching their pearls and going, I can't believe that he, he, he would say this. Here's the larger point, and, and this is the message that needs to go out to the, the district attorneys out there who've you know taken money from like the George Soros to fund the police, let's not hold account, people accountable groups, the judges that have been backed by those folks, the judges that don't want to hold people accountable, the DAs that don't want to have hold people accountable. Here's the message that, that needs to come through it. Law-abiding, honest citizens are sick of this. They're sick of this. Law-abiding, honest citizens are outraged over the fact that you have 22, 23, 24 cars stolen a day from the streets of Milwaukee. They're, they're outraged that you go to dinner or you go out to lunch, you come out, you've parked your car on the street, and it's gone. That They're outraged at this notion that it's somehow your fault because you choose to drive a Kia or a Hyundai. They're outraged at this, and they want to have a degree of accountability. And what's going to happen sooner or later 
is if the system breaks down or there is a perception that the system is broken down, and I could argue the system has, in fact, broken down, more and more people are going to start saying, look, this, this isn't working. Yeah, I can call the cops, but that, that's not going to do anything. Because even if the cops catch this guy, he's going to be back out on the street stealing cars, you know, two days later or breaking into homes or whatever. If you get this feeling that the system has broken down, then more and more people are going to start taking things into their own hands, which I think is a very bad thing to do. And it's why it needs to be a wake-up call to everybody throughout the system that you know, the honest, law-abiding people have had enough, and it's not just enough to say, "Okay, you know, we're going to pose for holy pictures, and we're going to have a meeting of our of our new anti-crime task force, and we're going to sit around and we're going to talk about how we could get more midnight basketball games." And I'm not against midnight basketball or whatever of the, these different things you come up with, but right now. What you are looking at, not just in Milwaukee, but in many other urban areas, is you're looking at this complete dumpster fire, and you get the idea that you've got a lot of these political figures who are sitting there with a garden hose trying to put out that dumpster fire, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. So for everybody who's upset with what the sheriff said, again, my question is, are you really upset, or do you just think that you should be upset? Because my guess is most people are saying, right on, sheriff, that's exactly the, the idea. Don't break into my home, and you're not going to have to worry about bad things happening to you. The countdown to the draft is on, and we're doing it big with Draft Night Megacast. On April 28th, that would be Thursday from 7 to 11 p.m., join Gabe Neitzel, Greg Matzek, Brian D., and Jason Wilde as they break down all things draft during round one. Plus, they'll be joined by Tausch, Chewy, and other football voices throughout the show. The Draft Night Megacast, April 28th from 7 to 11 p.m., right here on 620 WTMJ. I mentioned this yesterday, and this is one where I I think my prediction is going to work out to be true. We took some calls on this. The Supreme Court yesterday heard arguments in a case involving a high school football coach from, from Washington State. And the high school football coach ended up getting suspended and ultimately not rehired because after games, he would go out to the 50-yard line and he would kneel down and he would say a prayer. Well, okay, what happened was a number of the players on their own started joining him. Then a number of players from the opposite team started joining him. Then this matter got a lot of attention, and then the school board freaked out. Oh, we, we, can't, have, we can't have a high school football coach who is actually praying out loud. And we think that this is going to be an establishment of religion. Well, the, the, the high school football coach decided, hey, I'm not going to take this lying down. He sued, and yesterday the Supreme Court had heard arguments about this. My guess is, by probably a 6-3 to three vote, the Supreme Court is going to find that what he did was completely and totally appropriate. The whole way we have approached the separation of church and state in this country, a phrase that doesn't exist in the Constitution, is, I think, kind of backwards. And I think more and more we've tried to reach this point where we say that, okay, there there can be no mixing with religion and public life. Well, that's a problem because just because you're a public employee, in this case a football coach, doesn't mean you, you give up your right to be able to say a prayer. And if other people choose to join in, I think they have that right as well. My guess is the football coach is going to win. We'll know in July. When we come back, can you see clearly now? Be careful, because your light bulbs are going away. I'll explain. We'll discuss. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. It's the least surprising line in Mike Spaulding's newscast. He was reporting about how the vice president, Vice President Harris, has apparently come down with COVID-19. And the good news is she's feeling fine. And um, <laughs> But the, the least surprising line was, well, the, the vice president has had no close contact at all with either the president or the first lady. Which is, yeah, I, I think, you know, if you're wondering whether or not in Washington sometimes they, they try to fudge on the truth, I think that's probably the case, that uh, the vice president hasn't been anywhere near the president anytime soon, so you don't have to worry about that. Matter of fact, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 and what I've started doing with Twitter is I, I've a lot of times there's stories that I, I, I prepare to do on the radio, and a lot of times I it just because— other stories move to the forefront. I don't get a chance to do them. So I'm kind of using Twitter from time to time as the opportunity to at least express in 120 characters or less how I feel about these things. I did that the other day. There's a story about how um, new book that's being that's coming out, and, and actually it, it's by a couple New York Times reporters. This is not a, a book from conservative sources. And it, apparently the, the text is that uh, First Lady Jill Biden was dead set against choosing Ms. Harris as as their her running mate. And and this was she was the one that just said, no, we, we, we should find somebody else for a variety of reasons. And I sent out a tweet about this with a link to the story saying maybe the lesson is that a husband should occasionally listen to the advice offered by his wife. But I don't think there's necessarily any love lost between the two of them. And there's certainly no love lost between the vice president and the first lady. So you can kind of check that out. But yeah, I, you know, she's again, come down with COVID-19. Hopefully she will you know, continue to not show any sort of symptoms and be fine about that. But yeah, I kind of believe that idea that now she probably hasn't been in too much close contact with the president. All right. One of the other things that uh, Mike Spalding was talking about during the news is something that I I want to discuss with you. And it involves, it involves Donald Trump. The, for the last, well, what year or so, we in Wisconsin have had this Gableman investigation that has been going on and on and on, looking into supposed election regularities. That The taxpayers have been on the hook for going on three-quarters of a million dollars. And I think it's pretty apparent that, that the investigation isn't going anywhere, and it's kind of taken on this, this life of its own. I think all of us, or at least most of us, would agree that in Wisconsin in 2020, what happened is there were some procedures that were adopted by some clerk of courts that might not comport with the law. But but the law is kind of a mess. And there were some interpretations that might not be correct either. But again, the, the law is a mess. And it's something for either the legislature or the courts to resolve. But as far as outright fraud, and by fraud, I mean you know, thousands and thousands of people who weren't entitled to vote, voting, or, you know, people, you know, dead people voting or things like that. There, there's there's no evidence of, of that at all. Matter of fact, uh, during the last hour of the Steve Scafidi show, he had um, Rick Essenberg from the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. And they, they had done their own extensive investigation and pretty much came to that conclusion. That there's not massive fraud. There's questionable practices that were used. But this idea that the election was stolen, I'm, I'm sorry, you need to get over it. But, you know, of course, President Trump, former President Trump, can't reach 
that point, can't get over it, can't acknowledge that he might have lost. And so what he's been doing is trying to be kingmaker. So the, the latest example of that is he's apparently down in Florida saying that the taxpayers of Wisconsin, in his opinion, need to continue paying Michael Gableman hundreds of thousands of dollars to continue his investigation. And his exact quotation was, anyone calling themselves a Republican in Wisconsin should support the continued investigation in Wisconsin without interference. I understand some rhinos, that would be Republicans in name only, have primary challengers in Wisconsin. I'm sure their primary opponents would get a huge bump in the polls if these rhinos interfere. Um, And of course, he's I think one of the things he's alluding to is is Robin Voss, who's the Speaker of the Assembly, who's going to come through his primary just do fine. But Trump is like threatening, well, if people don't support going down this rabbit hole and continuing to throw money after this, I might come in and I might start endorsing uh, their opponents in the primaries and things like that. Which brings me to a piece that's in the Wall Street Journal today by Gerard Baker. GOP leaders remain shackled to Donald Trump. In private, they say they know the 2020 election wasn't stolen, but they refuse to say it in public. Let me share a portion of this piece with you, and then I want to discuss it with you. So here's, here's what he writes. It may or may not come as a shock to you, dear reader, to learn that the fervent desire of much of the Republican Party's top brass, its major donors, business leaders who urgently crave a Republican restoration, and many of the party's most prominent supporters in the media and elsewhere, is for Mr. Trump to break the habits of a lifetime and go quietly away. It is a desire expressed as fervently in private as it is assiduously and dexterously avoided in public. But the big lie of this duplicitous relationship requires them to utter multiple, smaller, cascading fictions. With the exception of a few demented types in Congress and the media, they don't believe the 2020 election was stolen from Mr. Trump. They don't think that the January 6th riot was a legitimate act of protest or the work of federal agent provocateurs. They fear that a Trump-led Republican ticket presents them with a lose-lose proposition in 2024. Either he continues his well-established pattern of losing the party elections, the 2018 midterms, the 2020 general election, the 2021 Georgia Senate runoffs, or he wins and condemns them to another potentially even more chaotic four years of his distinctive leadership. The prayerful, desperate hope of most of them is that somehow he doesn't run again in 2024, a wish that looks every day less likely to be fulfilled. Some of them hope, with or without malice, that he might be too old or somehow physically incapacitated from running again. Of course, they say none of this where it might be heard and relayed back to the man himself. They don't risk his wrath or the retribution of voters for whom the man, not the party, is what matters. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So you, you've got Trump down in Florida who's trying to be a kingmaker and who's trying to bully, for example, legislators in Wisconsin into continuing to fund the Michael Gableman investigation, an investigation that, that's 
my opinion, going absolutely nowhere and continues to dominate the news in the political cycles when we should be talking about things like what's going on in the stock market and what's going on in the economy and all these other things. But yet the headlines day after day are the Gableman investigation and how much money is being spent and what the Gableman email said he said about some elections clerk or something like that. All this stuff, which at the end of the day, is is not, I believe, what Republicans should be talking about in the run-up to the November elections against Tony Evers or in support of Ron Johnson or whatever. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Point of the article is lots and lots of people out there, including lots and lots of Republicans, just want Donald Trump to go away. Just, Just go away. Don't have to go away mad. But just go away and stop this. Stop threatening primaries against people who don't go down this rabbit hole. And you know what? I think this columnist is absolutely correct. I think what you have is the tail that's wagging the dog. You know, the the tail being, all right, a small group, a relatively small group of people who are really worked up on this. And the vast majority of people who are like, you know, we got to move on. I think this columnist nails it in one, 855-616-1620. And I don't think people like Robin Voss or other Republicans in the Assembly or the Senate or the people that are responsible for paying for this stuff or having the taxpayers pay for this stuff, I don't think they should let themselves be bullied. It's time to move on and focus on the things that are important, which is the November election. What do you think? Waterstone Bank and WTMJ Steve Scafidi are once again partnering to recognize the heroes in our community. Police officers, firefighters, health care providers, and countless others help every day to protect our families. They're the first on the scene when critical accidents and unfortunate events occur. Do you know a first responder that deserves recognition for their duties? Then head to WTMJ.com and make your nomination now. And please hurry. The nomination period ends May 13th. It's Waterstone Bank's salute to service on News Radio WTMJ. Let's start with Wayne in Wind Lake. Wayne, good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? Hello? Yeah, go ahead. You're on well, the air. I think the investigation is going on. I think it's going on far enough. You know, I think right now, as long as the money's still flowing in, he's just lying in his pockets. I mean, there's been a lot of a lot of states looked at this and, you know, haven't come up with anything, you know, no. Uh, enough to overturn anything. Well, no. You're, thanks for calling. Yeah, right. You, to, yeah. No, you're right. I mean, it, it, look, there, there's no evidence of, of fraud in the sense that I'm using the, the term. That is, you know, that you, you've had prosecutors that look at this. My God, you, you've had all sorts of people look at this to try to find, okay, show me the show me the dead person that w- was voting. Show me the, 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 the voting machines where 20,000 people voted for Trump and, it, and the, the machines, you know, turned them into ballots for Biden. It just it just didn't happen. Now, again, I understand in Wisconsin, you can have this argument about best practices and should you have had drop boxes and things like that. Those are, are fair arguments, but it's far different from saying there's fraud or the election stolen. And, and the more people just kind of glom onto this, the more detached from reality I think you become. And, and the more it takes the eye off the prize, which is it's 
we're not relitigating November of 2020 anymore. It's already April of 2022. You need to be looking ahead. Let, let's talk about the economy. Let's talk about what's going on in the stock market. Let's talk about the war in Ukraine. Let's talk about immigration. Let's talk about all these issues, including all the economic and pocketbook issues that really make a difference in, in people's lives. To me, just like you have people on the left that are absolutely upset with the drawing of districts, oh, it's all this gerrymandering, stuff that average voters could give a rat's rump about. I, I think you've got average voters who, who look, they, they've moved on from 2020. And, and yes, I understand that you don't want to have elections that are stolen or things like that, but, but they've, they've moved on. And they want to talk about the stuff that affects them and their their lives. Let's talk about the schools, for example. Let's talk about, you know, what's going on with curriculum. Let's talk about this idea that, you know, whether parents should have any input into, you know, what's taught to kids. These are all these issues that are out there that meaningfully move the needle, and yet— it's like, well, okay, we've got to continue to go down the rabbit hole of the 2020 election, or I'm going to try to find people to run against you in, in primaries. And, and, and part of it, too, is Robin Voss, like I say in Wisconsin, he's not going to lose a primary. He's just flat out not. And for whatever you want to say about Robin Voss, you know, good or bad, I mean, I've known him since 1994, I think. And, and here's a guy who was at the forefront of the conservative movement during Scott Walker and the battle with Act 10, and then you've got the former president, Mar-a-Lago, who's implying that Robin Voss is a, is a rhino. Give me a break. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you and the article. Um, all this, you know, talk about Trump, I understand their passion, and it's great that they support somebody um, that much, but it is just distracting, as you said, from the real issues. Uh, the economy, the border, um, racist groups like Black Lives, Matter, Black Lives Matter. Those are all things that are being, you know, destro- destroying the country that needs to be looked into and fixed. Yeah, I, right. I mean, and, and, well, I mean, thanks, for, thanks for calling. I mean, regardless of how you feel about like Black Lives Matter, or what, but but these are these are real these are real issues that that are out there. And I, I keep coming back mostly to the economy. But you you've got the, the whole issue with different culture wars, however you want to define that. All all these different types of things that are there, and and, and these particularly the pocketbook issues are the issues that that matter. I'm not sure people. I, I mean, I'm not sure among Republican voters and Republican primaries and things like that, that the Black Lives Matter movement is where, how that's going to play out or, or whatever. But th- these, are, these are issues, I guess, that you know people want to talk about and maybe want to focus on and things like that. But these are valid issues. Trying to obsess about relitigating the 2020 election, to me, you've you got to move on. And I think the truth is that there's a lot of people who who want want to move on from this and it is unfortunate that you have a president um who is in this situation where he's putting us in a position where we 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 can't end up moving on from this 855-616-1620 mark in central florida mark you're on wtmj good afternoon yeah hi jeff once again thanks for taking my call um i watched Believe it or not, because I'm a Republican, I watched Barack Obama not long ago on 60 Minutes giving a direct quote to the interviewer at quite some length saying 
there isn't a person that runs for president of the United States that doesn't have at least a medium to large-sized ego, and they don't like to lose, they don't like to quit, and they don't like to go quietly in the night. We saw Barack Obama move back to Washington, D.C. less than a year after he left office. Um, that's not my real point is. My real point is I've been in Florida now for a couple of years. Beautiful place. People are coming into Florida, a conservative state, from all over the United States, especially from liberal states in the last couple of years. Donald Trump is loved down here. His election rallies still to this day pack in 15,000, 20,000. He's had four in the last six months. All over central and southern states. My point is he's generating voter turnout. Now, I think at some time, I hope at some time, and yes, the man has a huge ego, but the man also got a hell of a lot of things done when he was president. At some time, the Republican Party will pivot if they're smart. They will pivot, and with or without the backing of Donald Trump, they will hit issue after issue after issue because the Democrat Party under Biden is failing well, on that's, issue after issue. And I guess, Mark, that's, I, that's, I, want, I want the campaign to be about issues, and I want it to be about issues moving forward, not about was the 2020 election stolen. And, and look, I, I have no doubt that, that Donald Trump can, can generate you know, ten or 20,000 people coming out to a rally and things like that, but that, that's not going to get you elected. And that that's I think people in general are ready to move on. And I think whether it was the refusal to accept the results of the election or January 6th and Trump's role in it, whether you think it rises to the level of a crime or not, all that type of stuff. To me, I think the sooner the Republican Party moves on, the better. You are, by the way, right. I mean, anybody that gets involved in politics in general, but particularly anybody who thinks that they have what it takes to be the leader of the free world, has to have a certain ego. And and some, I think, the politicians do a better job than others uh, of trying to suppress that ego. I'm reading this book, I said, about it's a new book about um, Harry Truman. And it's actually fascinating. It's in, it talks about like 23 different instances he had. Uh, Harry Truman had a huge ego. And, you know, in public and private, used to get really upset with things. But but that's that if you think you can be the leader of the free world, you, you've got to have an ego. Some people are just better off than suppressing it or not. Bottom line, I guess, is you, you'd like to have Former President Trump, you'd like to have him, okay, if we're all in the same canoe, you'd like to have him paddling in the same direction that everybody else is paddling. Don't think that that's the case, though. And unfortunately, it's not going to change. And if it doesn't change, you wonder if this is going to be another year where the Republicans figure out a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Okay, Mike Spaulding, sometimes these things in the text line make me smile. Okay, so I, I've been carrying on about how Donald Trump down in Mar-a-Lago threatening to have primary elections against Republicans who don't throw hundreds of thousands of dollars more at the Gableman um, election. is It's just it's a non-starter and a distraction. So one of our texters, well, when did the station become so liberal? 
and I guess I, mean, it's, I, I, I hear a lot of stuff about me, you know, some good, some bad. I, I don't hear, oh, you become a liberal very often, and I don't think there's too let, – let me, let me tell you this. At least at, at those, like, the coffee clutches and stuff where all the liberals are, you don't really see me. I mean, I don't think it's kind of that. So if by turning liberal you mean me questioning frivolous claims that the election was stolen and wanting to focus on issues that I think will move voters – Well, I guess I've been liberal for quite a while, or not. One of the frustrating things to me when when we talk about crime is you have these politicians that that say the the same things over and over again. And you you just want to say, look, don't you realize that just giving lip service to some of these problems doesn't, doesn't help? Now, for years, I listened to Tom Barrett, who would say, well, okay, when he wanted to even address the out-of-control crime rate in the city of Milwaukee, he'd say, well, we, 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 need, we need more stuff from, from the state. We, we need tougher gun laws. And, and my question was always, okay, well, explain to me you know, wh- what those tougher gun laws are and, and how those are going to make a meaningful difference. And then you get no response. So now I'm listening to Mike Spaulding's news, and apparently the new mayor, Cavalier Johnson, is out saying, well, you know, we, we need the state to come down with, with tougher gun laws. Now, I, I'm not against tougher gun laws necessarily if, if they're going to make any sort of material difference. But what, what, and one of the frustrating things to me about the media is nobody pushes people saying, well, what exactly are you talking about? Okay, so here's the deal. In Milwaukee, right now, we have 71 homicides, I think. Um, that's year-to-date. Uh, last year was 42. Okay, um, so 71 homicides. You have non-fatal shootings, 217. That's low. I, I think that doesn't include what happened on the weekend. Carjackings, 101. That's up from 92, same time last year. So my question would be, all right, 70-some homicides, 200-some non-fatal shootings, probably let's round up. Let's say it's 300. Add another 100 for the carjacking. So these are going to be armed. Of those 400 cases that presumably involved guns, the homicide, the the non-fatal shootings, and the carjackings, okay, explain to me what law you want to see coming out of Madison that would have stopped any of those or any significant number of those. I am willing to bet you that of those 400, the murders, the non-fatal shootings, and the carjacking, I'm willing to bet you that, oh, at least 350 of them were committed by people who probably had a criminal record before. It's just my guess. Maybe it's 300, maybe it's 380, but they didn't just wake up one day and say, okay, today's the day I'm going to take a gun and I'm going to shoot somebody. So if they're already felons, they're not allowed to legally possess firearms anyways, and yet they did. And, of course, the last time I checked, it was illegal to carjack somebody with a gun. It was illegal to shoot somebody with with a gun. You have, um, and I don't mean to be simplistic here, but at the same time, you you have a ton of different gun laws that are out there. So when you talk about, well, we need more help from Madison, give us more gun laws, what what are you talking about in any sort of meaningful fashion? So people might say, well, I I think we need better better background checks. Okay, well, my guess is, again, the vast majority of the people that have these various guns either 
you know, got them outside of the conventional system anyways. They didn't go in to a, a licensed firearms dealer if they've got three felonies on their record and, and buy a gun. They, they just didn't, they didn't do that. They didn't go to the gun shows and, and buy the gun. So when you say, okay, what are, what are you talking about? My question is, is this just lip service or is, the, is there something really meaningful that, that you could do? Now, I have said, for example, I believe that one of the things we need to do, and I argued this yesterday, is I think there should be mandatory minimum penalties for felons who are caught in possession of firearms. Maybe it's three years, maybe it's five years. But if you're not allowed to have a gun legally, there should be accountability. And yet around here, there is none. That's one of the first charges that gets dropped or pled down or whatever, you know, when, when somebody gets caught with this. But yeah, if, if, if you're talking about gun laws, let's put some mandatory minimum penalties to get people off, off the street. But when you say, okay, we want tougher gun laws, all right, okay, so you you close the quote-unquote gun show loophole. How many of those carjackings, the shootings, and the murders, you know, came from, I don't know, somebody who got a gun at a gun show? How many of those 400 carjackings, murders, and shootings, how many of them occurred by somebody who wouldn't have been picked up on a universal background check? Because I I just— and, and nobody ever pushes them saying, okay, what? show me how this is going to make any material difference. It's easy just to kind of pass the buck and say, okay, let's, let's, we, we want Madison to pass more laws. And I'm not against that. I, I mean, if there's laws that you can show are going to make a meaningful difference in holding people accountable or a meaningful difference in stopping people from obtaining firearms that they are not legally able to do, I, I'm open to having this conversation. But that that's the reality, at least in my opinion, is that's nibbling around the edges of, of this because you already have tons of gun laws. And my guess is the people that are committing the vast amount of these crimes, they're not legally allowed to possess guns anyways, and they don't care. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If if, if you you want to go to something like Universal Background Check, I I guess I'm open to hearing the conversation, but is that going to make any meaningful difference in stopping people from dying on the mean streets in Milwaukee? And if so, how? 855-616-1620. I mean, it just seems to me it's, it's, you know, you've got the new boss talking about the same things that the old boss talked about, and I'm sure he's sincere. You know, but at the same time, what, what do you want Madison to do realistically that is going to make a difference? 855-616-1620. See, don't get me wrong. I, you, you show me, you know, gun laws that I think can make a difference in violent crime. I, I'm all there. I'm just saying that of the homicides, shootings, and the carjackings, which total around 400 in Milwaukee, I, I I would say to the mayor, show me, okay, what gun law do you want that's going to prevent any significant number of them? Now, I have an idea. I've said, how about mandatory minimum sentences for anybody, any felon caught in possession of a gun? And uh, then also put pressure on the DA's office not to drop them. Okay, so at very least, in that case, you'd get lots of people that get caught with guns, that get turned back loose on the street to commit more serious crimes. At least they'd be off the streets for a while. So, I mean, let if you want to talk about that, that's fine. 
But seriously, universal background checks, you think that's going to make any significant dent in the carnage that is on the street here? I mean, give me a break. What laws are you talking about as opposed to just this, I'm going to wash my hands of the problem and I'm going to blame Madison? Well, Madison needs more gun laws. Come on. Let's start with Jeremy and Racine. Jeremy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Every time I hear a mayor speak like that, they're just kind of deflecting any responsibility of what is about to come down the pipes for the next year or so with the crime going on. He ran on a platform uh, to fight crime in Milwaukee, the rising crime. And the first opportunity he has to make a statement, he's looking towards Madison for funding and stiffer gun laws, which is a pretty generic response to the situation. If he really wanted to start making changes, he has the ability as the mayor to start pulling certain levers within his power to start making positive changes right away. Instead of waiting for Madison uh, taking their time, you know, playing politics about the laws, he could be doing stuff now. If he wants money from Madison, he needs to lay out exactly why he needs that money. And, and what, what you're going to use the money for. Yeah. Money. yeah, what are you going to exactly. use the money for? Here, I want to put 50 more cops on the streets, for example, and I want to flood high crime areas on weekends. I need the money for it. Okay, well, but let's have that discussion as opposed to, well, I want more gun laws, <laughs> which, I, again, I, that's right. a, a challenge. Show me how that gun law is going to make any – show me a gun law that's going to make a significant difference in the number of homicides, carjackings, and, and non-fatal shootings. And, and I'm willing to consider it. But that's, that's not the problem. The people that are committing the crimes aren't in general allowed to legally have guns now, and yet they've got guns. No, thanks for no. No, thanks for calling. Again, see that that's the the frustrating. Let let's pass the buck, and this is what's been going on for years and years and years. Instead of confronting the underlying problem that you've got a certain segment of the population that just, as I've said before, is criminally inclined and has the impulse control of fruit flies. And I, I guess if by gun control laws you mean, well, well, maybe we should pass a law in Madison that we should confiscate everybody's guns. Okay, well, fine, that, that's, that's not going to happen. That's, that's not the real world. Are there too many guns in the hands of the wrong people? Of course, of course. But Maybe we need to focus on trying to get those guns out of the hands of the wrong people. And if you've got ideas on laws that could help do that, I, I'm all ears, but there's already so many laws on, on the books that are, are covering that. So that's j- just to simply say that might sound good. I understand it. And of course, but unless you push it, and again, one of the frustrating things that I have in the, in the media is that, you know, nobody, nobody asks that follow-up question. Well, what specific gun law do you want Madison to pass? Okay. You want universal background checks. Okay. All right. What percentage? Let's look at the 400 crimes with guns that have been committed just in those three categories this year. Explain to me which of those or how many of those crimes you believe would have been stopped if we had universal background checks. Is it 5? Is it 50? Is it 50 percent? Is it 200? And and then defend that sort of argument that's there, and you can have this thing as opposed to simply saying, oh, we, we we need more gun control. Well, okay, but explain to me what's going to work. My idea of gun control is enforcing the laws that are on the books, adding some to hold people accountable. If you're a felon, you shouldn't have a gun because chances are you're going to use it in some bad way. So when you get caught with that gun in the first place, instead of just slapping you on the wrist and telling you don't do it again, well, okay, 
really put some, put some consequences in there for doing that. Lamar in Orlando. Lamar, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, so a couple of things. One, I agree that we they need to get more aggressive with, you know, violent crimes, and, you know, gun-related crimes, and those are in possession with guns that shouldn't have them. Step one. Step two, yes, the DA needs to get more aggressive uh, in arresting and prosecuting these folks to put them away, number two. Uh, and number three, I think that we need to unhandcuff, no pun intended, uh, the ATF so that they can get a hold of dealing with these guns that are getting into the hands of the people that shouldn't have them. Mm-hmm. That that Because otherwise you're just going to have this revolving door. The reality is, and it's sad, in our country there's more guns than people. And I get it, most people are, are law-abiding citizens. But we have a serious problem when, you know, because the guns start being, by being purchased legally. They, yep. they have to start somewhere legally. Yep. And they, too many of them get on the streets in the hands of bad people. And so... If we would, if we were to give more funding and unhandcuff, because you know there's many ways in which we've handcuffed the ATF, uh, you know, hands, so they can investigate to get these guns off the street. That I think would go a long way, even in the short term, yeah. of dealing with this violent gun, uh, you know, gun problem. Yeah, Lamar, thank, thanks for calling. As a matter of fact, and I, let me let me take that one step further. I mean, one of our texters makes this point when you talk about background checks. You know, if you're a felon, you're not going to pass that background check. And like I say, my guess is if you figure out the people that have committed the vast majority of these crimes, these are people that are felons. They're not legally allowed to have guns, much less use them in the way they do. Texter says criminals don't do background checks. They buy guns from friends, or buy stolen guns, or they steal the guns themselves. Yeah, that that that's that's it. So you can talk about a universal background check that that's fine but but that is that going to stop one of these felons from getting the guns in the first place and my answer is for the vast majority of them it's no and i agree with you lamar let's maybe let's let's be more aggressive in in going after the the straw purchasers you know where the the felon says i want a gun so he goes to his girlfriend and his girlfriend you know or you know best friend or whatever they go in and they end up buying a gun and giving it to the bad guy yeah let, let's go after that let's start to hold people more accountable if that's what you mean by gun control I, I'm all in, in favor of it if you want to toughen the laws put in penalties that are even stricter for this I'm, I'm all in favor of it but otherwise don't just say well we need to have tougher gun laws and I want Madison to do it without identifying what you want and then quantifying and see that's the key thing quantify how that's going to make a difference the, this the violence in the city is so and it's other urban areas as well but the violence is so out of control that you just can't give lip service and you can't be saying the same thing that John Norquist was saying for years and the same thing that Tom Barrett was saying for years and now the same thing that the new mayor is saying. You, you just, at some point in time, you've got to change the record. The message gets old when nothing else changes. Again, it's just this is an ongoing series of frustrations for me. I mean, I, I grew up in this community and the, the, the crime rate now is something that would have been unthinkable not not that long ago. And I, I will just tell you, I get all sorts of feedback from people who say, well, we don't want to come into Milwaukee anymore because we're afraid our cars are going to get stolen or we're afraid we're going to get shot or whatever. And, you know, I understand for a while people would say, oh, that that's the perception. It's not a reality. Well, I don't know. When you got 23 or 24 cars being stolen every day, that, that does become an element of, of reality. And you've got the carjackings and you've got the shootings. And I, I think we need to have honest conversations about this. And when it comes to the whole area of guns, 
if we recognize, if we accept the premise that there's too many guns out on the street, fine. But the real problem is there's too many guns in the hands of people who aren't supposed to have guns, and then who are criminally inclined, and they have the impulse control of fruit flies, like I say, and all that sort of stuff. You, if give me the ideas, tell me the laws that are going to keep those people from having and using guns, and I'm down with you. I, I I am, but just for the mayor to say, well, we we need more gun laws. Okay, be specific, quantify what it is you want, and tell me how that's going to make things better. My idea, like I say, let's start putting people, felons who aren't supposed to have guns, when they get caught with guns, let's put them in prison for three years and don't pass go. At least it'll protect people on the streets for three years. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I can see clearly now, or, or not, there, a number of years ago, Congress passed this energy-saving bill, which essentially would have required all of us to stop using old-fashioned light bulbs. And, and by old-fashioned light bulbs, I, I'm referring to the, I don't know, you know, the, the three-way bulbs and the old incandescent bulbs and, and things like that, because a lot of these lights were, were not efficient enough. These light, these light bulbs were not efficient enough to meet the, the standards that were required by the government. And so what the government was doing was essentially forcing people to stop using light bulbs that they might like to have used and then force them to buy like the LED bulbs and things of, of the like. LED bulbs tend to cost more, but they, they last longer. So the, the argument is, you know, big picture, yet, yeah, the LED bulb that you buy might cost more than the old incandescent light bulb, but again, it's going to be much more energy efficient and it's going to last a lot longer. So in at the end of the day, you as a consumer are going to save money. But that, that was the idea. You're not going to be able to have that choice. And the rule was that manufacturers aren't going to be able to manufacture these older style incandescent light bulbs and things like that. And you're going to have to go to the LED bulbs. I think the newer generation of LED bulbs are better than the first generation of LED bulbs. And I think around our house, I, I got to say, I think I think most of our light bulbs probably are the 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 LED type of of bulbs, but probably not all. And there's there's still a question about you know the tract lighting and things like that. But in any event, that that was going to be the rule in 2019. The Trump administration put that rule on hold. And what they said is, we're going to allow, because of the costs involved and stuff, we're going to put these these on hold, and, you know, we're not going to implement these standards. So as a result, the older-style incandescent bulbs, you know, continue to be sold. And this affects like those pear-shaped bulbs and uh, three-way bulbs and things like that. You need to understand that situation. So it's been on hold. And so as a result, when you go to the hardware store and you buy light bulbs, you've had a choice. What kind of light bulbs do I want? And I understand that there's some people 
who love the LED bulbs. Lots of people do. I've gotten used to them. But there's other people who just don't like the way they, they throw off light and things like that. And even though it's less energy efficient and might cost you more in the long run, those consumers have made the choice that we want to go with the old, quote unquote, the old fashioned bulbs. Well, the end has come for those old fashioned light bulbs. Uh, yesterday, the Biden Energy Department finalized two rules which will require manufacturers to sell energy-efficient light bulbs, effectively putting a a sell-by date on older bulbs that don't meet the new standards. And what this is going to mean is these new rules are going to essentially say that starting January 1st of 2023, um, manufacturers will not be allowed to produce these older-style bulbs. Uh, retailers and distributors will have an extra seven months to comply, giving them an opportunity to sell off existing inventory. So if you're one of those people that like the old three-way bulbs or, or whatever, you'll, you'll still have a little bit of time to buy them. But the idea would be by next summer, that would be the summer of 2023, they won't be able to be sold anymore, and you will no longer have that choice. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Should the government be in the business of telling us what type of light bulb we can and cannot have? Because that's precisely what this, this is. There's no question that the LED bulbs are more energy efficient. There's no question that um, over the long term, they're also cheaper because, like I say, they, they don't burn out as, as fast or anything like that. But at the same time, I know that there are some people, and I don't happen to be one of them, but I know that there's some people who just don't like the light that they throw off. So is this a matter of the government coming in and telling us you can't choose what kind of light bulb you want, or should this be a matter of the free market? And for people who understanding that it's probably going to cost them more and they're going to have to replace these things more. But should you have a right to choose what kind of light bulb you want? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not against the the fluorescent bulbs. I'm I'm not. As a matter of fact, I think the latest... The new generation of fluorescent bulbs is a lot better than when they first started coming out. So I'm I'm not against that. But I guess my question is, does the government should the government be telling you what type of light bulb you can put in your particular lamp? And at some point in time, shouldn't you let the marketplace decide? Um, I, I guess, you know, and you're, you're starting to see this in other things, too. You're starting to see this with the internal combustion engine. The government is trying to use fuel efficiency standards to effectively kill automobiles run by the by the internal combustion engine. And, and my point is, why don't you let the free market decide? Why don't you let the free market decide about the whole issue of light bulbs? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Julie in Kenosha. Julie, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I just feel like the government really shouldn't uh, be involved with this. Um, one of the reasons why I live in Wisconsin is because we don't have some of these crazy laws like in California where they're trying to tell you you can't have a gas stove anymore. 
Uh, yeah, all right. You're, you're right. Uh, many communities, yeah, just to, so people understand what you're talking about, many communities in California, you can't have a natural gas hookup on new buildings anymore. California doesn't let you use, um, starting in 2024, you won't be able to use gas-powered leaf blowers or lawnmowers, or you, you won't be able to buy them at least. Right. And I feel like um, I was telling your screener, I the LED lights are kind of glaring and for example my christmas tree i had to search high and low to find the old type of lights that weren't led on my christmas tree because i think they're they just don't have that soft beautiful glow and i know i'm going to pay more but that's my right isn't it well, you, you would think, I mean, th- thanks for calling. I'm, I'm getting several texts al- along these lines. Jeff, I think this is a great idea. Energy efficiency is important um, to the security of our nation. It's just like seatbelts, fuel efficiency standards, airbags. Sometimes government cooks up bad ideas, but I don't think this is one of them. It benefits the, the common good. So the, the argument is these are more efficient. So you um, and and they don't throw off as much carbon dioxide. So this this is helping save the planet, I guess. M- my question is, where do you draw the line on that? And should people have the right to choose? Again, I'm not anti th- these LED bulbs. Matter of fact, that's what I I mean. Most of our lights run on these LED bulbs, so I don't have a problem with having to use those. But at the same time, I don't know if somebody likes the old-fashioned three-way bulbs, should they not have that choice? And sooner or later, won't the market end up dictating, you know, that that there's just not enough demand for the old-fashioned incandescent bulbs? Shouldn't we leave it up to the market? Is this, do you really want the government micromanaging what sort of light bulb you put in your lamp? Rob in Green Bay. Rob, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, good topic, Jeff. You know, I work for an electrical distributor up here in Green Bay, and uh, you know, LEDs—they're—they're they're a big seller. You know, and, but we still do—we still stock a lot of incandescent bulbs. Also, uh, me personally, I, I don't like the—I don't like the LEDs. Just just for the simple fact that my wife gets migraines from them. I don't know if it's the light that that are put out by it or or what it is, but and she's not the only one that I know that gets migraines from them either. Mm-hmm. What percentage of the light bulbs that you sell or install would you say are LED versus the, the non-LED, the ones that you won't be able to start keep selling anymore? I would say it's probably about 80-20. 80-20 now as far as regular light bulbs, and it's probably about 90-10 as far as uh, light, lighting fixtures. Okay, that everybody's going to them now. Yeah. Well, and I guess, see, that's, that's my point. I think most people probably will. That's just kind of the natural evolution of, of things. That It's like people going to the smartphones over the flip phones. That, that's what's going to happen. I guess I just wonder if you need the government coming in into that other 20% to the folks like your wife who think they get migraine headaches, headaches because of it. What you know? Does the government really need to say, you, you don't have that choice anymore? Live with your headaches. Um. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a fine line. I I don't think the the government should have a, a lot of choice in it, but you know it does save people money, and it is it, it is better for the environment. I, yeah. I would agree with that. But yeah, you know it'll be a bad it'll be a sad day in my in, in my way in our household when they do get rid of them. Well, th- thanks to the call, Rob. Well, I mean, see, and, and what well what's going to happen 
is I think once word of this gets out, you're going to find a lot of people stockpiling the stuff. I mean, my, my guess is that you're going to have a lot of people running and saying, okay, I'm going to, where, where can I find the, the three-way bulbs that I, that I want? And here, how many cases of these bulbs can I end up buying? Because you're still going to be able to do that through July of, of next year, at least, assuming these things aren't rolled back. Again, I, I'm not anti-LED bulbs. I want to be real clear here. I'm not, I'm not anti that at all. I just, I'm having problems with the government telling you and micromanaging your life to the point that, no, you, you can't, you, you, we're going to tell you what kind of light bulbs that you can put in that desk lamp. Let's talk to Bill in New Berlin. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Bill. Uh, well, I'm against legislation. I'm against legislation from the cradle to the grave. I think people have the right to make choices, good or bad. That's, I think that's their right. As Americans, we should have, I believe we have that right. Uh, and whether it's light bulbs or candles or whatever, I think we should be allowed to make our own choices. Yeah, even if, no, thanks. So even if, even if it's a, if it's a bad choice, and, and you know, people are texting me, and I understand talking about how inefficient the old incandescent bulbs are, and I'm not arguing that. I'm 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 not arguing that they they throw off a, a bunch of heat um, that that you don't get from like the the newer bulbs and stuff. I'm not arguing that it's a superior choice to go and and use the LED bulbs. I I get it. I, I appreciate that. But I guess to me the fundamental issue is should you have that choice or not? Is this one where the government should really be telling you that, okay, we're, you can't use these type of light bulbs that you might like anymore? Or should we just trust people to figure out that, hey, th- this is the way we, we want to go? And maybe you, that's what the marketing campaign is. Yeah, we understand that the LED bulb costs a little bit more, but don't you realize it's going to last X times longer and it's going to be so much more efficient? My guess, if you did that, as opposed to just going to people and saying that it's going to absolute ban, pretty soon the free market would end up taking over, and the number of people who continue to use the old-fashioned light bulbs isn't going to be so great that it makes a huge impact on the planet or or whatever, because gradually more and more people are going to move to that voluntarily without having the government come in and say, this is what it's got to be. In any event, the, the Biden administration is going the other direction. The rules were promulgated yesterday. So January 1st, as it stands now, the manufacturer of these bulbs is going to be prohibited, and um, anything after July July, sometime in July of next year, you're not going to find them on the shelves anymore. So for people who care about this, you might want to start stockpiling. Jeff, I stockpiled those lights the last time this issue came up. I absolutely hate LED lights. They hurt my eyes. No, I... Again, I'm not anti-LED lights, and most of the lamps and stuff in our house are those LED lights. I don't have a problem with it necessarily, but I do have issues with the government saying that you you can't make that that choice. That if you if you for whatever reason you like the light that the old soft white light bulbs throw off, and you're willing to pay extra for it, and by extra I mean again, you know the bulb's not going to last as long. If you're willing to do that, I don't know. Should you not have the right to do it? You know, that's 
That's my issue. Jeff, our government makes bad policies all the time, et cetera, et cetera. Um, love, and then they go on and say, you know, here, here uh, keep in mind that you also have rules on shower restrictions and toilet flow and things like that. Yep, I, I know. We've got the government that's micromanaging our lives in all these different ways. And the question becomes, you know, when exactly is enough going to be enough? Okay, the big story and we haven't talked about it a lot here. The big story, of course, is the news that Elon Musk, the world's richest man, is going to be spending 44 B as in billion dollars to buy Twitter. And of course, everybody's talking about what this means. Twitter right now is a publicly traded company. And if this deal goes through, Musk will take it and he it will go private. So it'll be him and his individual, if he's putting together a consortium of investors, that they will own that. So it's not going to be subject to the public pressures that you, you have if you're a publicly traded company. And there's all sorts of people speculating about what this means. Um, Elon Musk is, at least in, in a lot of his public statements, he appears to be more of a free speech, let's, let's not regulate uh, big tech as much as, say, the way Twitter operates now. And so you've got a lot of conservatives who are kind of rubbing their hands together saying, oh, this is going to be great because you've got a lot of the big tech companies, the Facebooks and the Twitters of the world, um, the Instagrams of the world, who have been like regulating speech and trying to decide what's accurate and what's not accurate. And if we think that what you're putting up there isn't accurate, we're going to, to take it down. Um, the thinking is that, again, Elon Musk is going to move it in the other direction. If he does, I think it's going to be a boost for, for Twitter because I, I do think I, – I'm, I'm never in favor of censorship. And I think what happens is that in the marketplace and free exchange of ideas, that's that's where things flourish. And I understand that sometimes there, there's bad ideas that are out there. There's crackpot ideas that are out there. And I guess I've always believed that the way you deal with that is by arguing that this is a crackpot idea. It's shooting down the crazy stuff as opposed to saying we're not going to let people hear this because we don't trust people to make their own decisions. If that's the approach that Elon Musk takes, I, I think Twitter is going to do very, very well. They're also going to wrestle with how they make money out of this, which is going to have some something to do with ads and things. I think it's an interesting time for big tech because I, I think if Elon Musk gets Twitter, he's going to change some of the ways it operates. Maybe it's going to be for the worse, but I, I think it's probably going to be for the better. And I think it's going to be making places like Facebook, for example, think about what they're going to have to do moving forward. Time will tell. Yet another really bad day in the stock market, continuing a streak that seems to have gone on for the last, well, 11, 12, 13 weeks. The Dow Jones Industrial is down 731 points. Uh, that is 2.15%. That comes on the heels of, what, a 900-plus point drop on Friday. The NASDAQ, it's worse. It's down 472 points, but that translates into a 3.6% drop. Um, thing, rocky time. And I understand that whenever I say that, I get people, oh, don't, you shouldn't alarm people. And generally those messages I get are from folks who make their living selling stocks and all. But the truth is, if you've got people who are in retirement or people who are nearing retirement, looking at what's been going on in the Biden stock market over the course of the last several months, it's there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of unhappiness, which is why, from a political perspective, you'd like to see the other side focusing on 
you know, issues like that as opposed to trying to relitigate the 2020 election. All right. Here's some. There's a big story that caught my attention in the L.A. Times today. Now, let me just say this at the outset. I am not a cigarette smoker. I have never been a cigarette smoker, and I never have a desire to be a cigarette smoker. I just I don't get it. Have I tried a cigarette from time to time? Yes. Don't, don't get it. it. It's an expensive habit. It's it hurts your health. Why people do it, I don't understand. But but nevertheless, I get that people do. All right. Um, Reynolds American, which is the, the big tobacco company in the United States, last year in cigarette sales, it made about $15.3 billion in U.S. sales of cigarettes, $15.3 billion. Now, I'm not going to open up the phone lines, but I want you to guess which brand of cigarettes represented half of that $15 billion dollars. There was one brand. Now, of course, they sell all sorts of brands of cigarettes. There was one brand that represented half of those cigarette sales. Do, 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 do. If you said Newport cigarettes, you would be correct. Newport cigarettes, which are menthol cigarettes, represented half of all the cigarette sales from Reynolds American last year. Let me see. I have the numbers. I just pulled those up here. The number of Newport cigarettes that were sold, menthol cigarettes, um, 30 billion, 30 billion cigarettes, Newport cigarettes. These are menthol cigarettes. 30 billion were sold last year alone. The, the menthol cigarette business is, is huge. Now, the other thing that, that's out there is that – there is a huge racial disparity in, in smoking, and, and this is – it's just it, – it's not even arguable. In the 1950s, for example, 2 percent of white smokers chose menthols. 5 percent of black smokers chose menthols. Today, menthol is the choice of 30 percent of white smokers and 85 percent of black smokers. Uh, among black American smokers, overwhelmingly – they smoke menthol cigarettes. And, of course, um, some of the argument is that you know, menthol cigarettes are because of, of the taste and stuff like that. They're, um, they're, they're easier to get people to start smoking, and they're easier to keep people smoking. They make it harder to quit. So there's a huge disparity. So what's been going on is this push to try to – Get rid of menthol cigarettes because, first of all, it's not good, but secondly, it has a a disproportionate impact. Uh, This is the L.A. Times today. Tobacco-related cancers claim 40,000 black lives each year at a rate 17 percent higher than that for whites and 74 percent higher for Asians and Latinos. So um, you have, again, smoking causing cancer, and you have a disproportionate impact in the black community. Now, the point of the L.A. Times story is, interestingly, how the the tobacco companies have been working to promote menthol cigarettes by hiring prominent people in the black community and paying them a bunch of money and having them go out and lobby against efforts to try to do away with menthol cigarettes. It's kind of interesting to see how that's happened. But right now, Massachusetts is the only state in the country which has a law which prohibits the sale of menthol cigarettes. 
this November, California has a ballot initiative, and Californians will vote whether or not to prohibit the sale of menthol cigarettes. The FDA says that um, if you nationally, if you did away with the sale of menthol cigarettes, you could save 600,000 lives. Again, because the argument that you know people start smoking with menthol cigarettes, and if it didn't have menthol cigarettes, not as many people would start smoking, and it'd be easier for them to quit. All right, so the question is, should the government... And this is kind of the theme of the hour. We talked before about, you know, should the government tell you what kind of light bulbs you could have? Should the government, in the interest of public safety, come in and say, if you are a smoker, in this case in California, if you are a smoker, you no longer will be able to buy menthol cigarettes, at least in California. And if this is a good idea in California, would it be a good idea nationwide? Should we look at, if not banning cigarettes entirely, saying we're not going to allow menthol cigarettes to be manufactured? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss. A number of people are asking, what, what are some of the other big cigarette brands? Uh, h- half, of, half of the cigarettes sold last year by um, Reynolds American, which is the old R.J. Reynolds, half of them were, were Newports. Um, the, 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 in, in, in this country, the three big cigarette brands are Newports, uh, Marlboro's, and to a lesser extent, Camels. Those are those are the the three big brands that are out there. Um, among menthol cigarettes, it, it's it's Newport. It's not even close. I mean, cool cigarettes are about a quarter of what Newport sells. Anyways, um, in November, California is going to decide whether they're going to join Massachusetts and ban the sale of menthol cigarettes. Uh, menthol cigarettes are disproportionately smoked by um, African Americans, and the idea is, you know, we, we ban we ban the sale of uh, menthol cigarettes. It's going to be good for everybody, but it's going to be particularly good from a health perspective for the black community. All right, is that the role of government? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with Rome in Midtown. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, the government should step in when there's something that's having such a disproportionately amount of uh, harm on a particular group of people. Uh, I have many, many, when I say many, many, I'm talking more than 20 or 30 of my friends and family members that have died from lung cancer. And cancer is based on the fact that the one thing that they had all in common was they all smoked Newport cigarettes. Yeah. Uh, and I know that Newport cigarettes is used by a lot of people that uh, do uh, cocaine. So that's another reason why a lot of people smoke Newports. They're the, you know, the menthol cigarettes and cocaine seems to be huh. kind of the other draw. But, yeah, but I think that, yeah, Newport cigarettes is killing a lot of people. And, you know, something that dangerous uh, should be off the market. Would you go farther and say we should make cigarettes smoking illegal, period? Well, I think that people should have a choice of, of whether or not to smoke or not. But I think that if there's a particular product that's more dangerous than the others, then that product needs to be taken off the market. I'm not saying that people should not be able to smoke because, you know, people are going to find a way to do that. Yeah. But, uh, 
in terms of the, the, in terms of specific types of cigarettes. You know, I'm sure that might might even bring a black market for, yeah. for menthol cigarettes. But at this point in time, I know for a fact that Cools used to be the first choice uh, for African American smokers. But then over the years, uh, as the uh, drug trade became more apparent in the black community, Newports huh. became. And they and the other thing is that they did a. If you go into the black community, you'll see more Newport commercials. Then you'll see oh. any other product. Oh yeah, there, no, Rome. Thanks. No, there's no question. And matter of fact, the, this L.A. Times article today talks about how the the cigarette manufacturers have have specifically and extensively targeted the black community for advertising, particularly about menthol cigarettes. Go. I mean, I'm I'm looking at this story, and they and, and one of the things they've done is they've. I'm, I'm looking at this ad. I guess I think it's. Um, again, uh, I, I'm not sure who which black star that is. I, I want to say Richard Pryor, but I could be wrong. But, you know, smoking, going, going back to that far, when you could still have cigarette advertising, and it also talks about how, again, that the tobacco companies have, have paid a, a number of prominent individuals in the black community or organizations they run, Al Sharpton is one, uh, to to lobby against these, these bans on menthol cigarettes, because the cigarette companies recognize that there's a huge amount of money to be made in this area, I, I guess, um, and I, I don't know about the stuff with the drug trade. I guess here's here's my problem with this, and again, this comes from the perspective of somebody who doesn't think people should be smoking cigarettes. I, at the same time, these are choices that individuals make, and I, I first of all, state by state bans to me. I make very, very little sense because precisely like the caller Rome was talking about, if you have if you have a state by state ban, what you're really doing is you're increasing this huge black market. Okay, so I can't buy I can't buy my incandescent light bulbs in California. I can't buy my Newport cigarettes in California. Well, well what am I going to do? Well, okay, I'm, I'm going to go across the border and I'm going to go to Nevada or wherever, or I'm going to go to Washington State, or I'm going to go to Oregon, or I'm going to go wherever, and I'm going to buy cartons and cartons of, of the cigarettes. It, to me, it's kind of like trying to, without a national sort of ban, it's kind of like trying to just, again, put your finger in, in the dike and, and stop the different leaks, and then another one kind of pops up, as opposed to trying to deal with the overall problem. I guess my my, my fundamental point here is I, I think trying to ban a specific type of a brand of a product or a variation of a product, I just I don't think that works. And I guess I don't think that that's really government's role. If government wants to take on the question of is cigarette smoking so bad and so dangerous and so unhealthy that we think people shouldn't be able to do it, and we want to have a, we want to and we believe that a prohibition should work, I mean that's a conversation that I think you should have. But trying to identify a specific brand and saying okay, and by brand I mean a special type. I mean I understand. There's all sorts of brands of menthol cigarettes. But trying to identify that and saying, we're, we're not going to, it's okay, you can smoke Camels and you can smoke Winstons if you want, but we're not going to allow you to, to smoke Cools or we're not going to allow you to smoke Newports. I, I think that, that that's trying to fight a, a losing battle. Now, in California, they're going to decide one way or another where they end up going with it. Don't know how that's going to turn out. 
If they do, I'm sure there's going to be all sorts of lawsuits coming saying, hey, you know, people should have the right to choose what they want to smoke. Don't know how that's going to turn out, but it's an ongoing debate. I'm going to post this L.A. Times article in um, in my on my Twitter feed because it's, it's really interesting and it's something that, um, that's worthy of discussion. Okay, when we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.